Hello and welcome to Accommodation Matters in Conversation, an opportunity to take a wider view of our sector and to learn more about those who influence it. I'm Jenny Shaw, Higher Education External Engagement Director for Unite Students. And with me today is someone who just over two years ago promised to bring energy, drive and vision to the role of Vice President Higher Education for the NUS. And she has absolutely delivered on that promise. Hilary Jebiababio, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. It's, it's funny that you talked about the energy and the passion and the drive because I definitely still have the passion and the drive. But I think I'm at the time of my term where I'm just a bit like, where was sleep in the past two years? So I'm excited to get some rest soon and, and have somebody else bring some more energy, passion and drive. But it's really, really lovely to be on the podcast today. Oh, well, thank you. No, it's great to have you on. Where, where are you joining us from today, Hilary? Um, I'm in London. I always have a weird relationship with um, explaining where I am in London because I'm in the middle of like four different areas. But I'm just between Waterloo, Vauxhall, Kennington and Elephant and Castle. So I'm really in the like cross section. If you hear any beeping or hammering, I haven't decided to build any IKEA furniture. Up. It's just life happening outside. It's life in London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So tell me about students themselves. I, I think a lot of us talk about students, think about students, write about students in, in my case. In your words, talk about what a student looks like, who they are, what they want. I really do love students and I think they're some of the most like inspirational and powerful people that I have the privilege of working with and for. How would I describe students? I, I guess the first thing to say about who students are and what they're like is they're some of the most visionary, inspirational, forward-thinking people that I've ever come across. Like I often meet really great people that have been doing work for years and years and years and I think that's fantastic but sometimes when you sit around the table or sit on a zoom call in the past two years with students you often hear about things and ideas and approaches that like sometimes just blow you away they're some of the most impactful and visionary people that I meet and they often inspire me in in all sorts of ways more than just the work that I'm doing I would also say that students are a really, really diverse group. And, and I think that's perhaps why I enjoy them so much. You never meet two students that are the same. You know, you meet the traditional student who's sort of an 18 year old leaving sick formal college, going to uni and, you know, carrying on their educational journey in a linear way. But you also meet, you know, mature students who are some of my favourite because they have life stories to tell. You meet care leavers and estranged students and sometimes they have really, really difficult stories about how they've had to navigate the challenges that have come across their lives. I find that so interesting. I have the privilege of being able to be paid to listen to students talk about things that they're interested in and things that they are passionate about. And so, you know, when I hear students speak about alternatives to supporting students with mental health or what it might look like to create communities and belonging in their communities, it's such a wonderful space to be in where you see such a diverse group be able to come together and collaborate and create friendships and communities. So I think in a, in a nutshell, students are probably some of the, the greatest people you'll get to meet. People can look in the mirror and see that in themselves. I think everyone's a student. 
as long as you're learning formally or informally, you're a student. And so that puts you into the group of incredible people with lots to think about and lots to say and, and lots of change to make. That's a lovely way of looking at it. Um, <laughs> I was really struck by what you said about that sense of community and belonging and students being able to articulate what that looks like to them, because I know that that's something that's of great interest to me. It's of great interest to people within the student accommodation sector. Are you, are you able to share some thoughts or some ideas maybe that have come to you from students? How how are students articulating what they need and what, what they would like to see? I think the sense of belonging and student communities has probably been the defining thing of the space that we're in in the student university education sector. Lots of students have spoken about the difficulties of, you know, the traditional experience of going to university and that change of pace, change of environment sometimes, but also how that environment needs to change from what it was traditionally built to look like. Recently, the Living Black Report, which you know better than I do, um, that brought out lots of things around things that even I was saying as a student, right? I think about my experience as a, a Black woman who went to university and sort of didn't really know what I was getting myself into entirely, but had a mixture of experiences that really shaped my time to get me where I am today. You know, I didn't really intend to become a national student rep. I went to university thinking that I would do my course because I was interested in it and then convert to law and be a lawyer. But, you know, you go into accommodations and that's where you sort of meet your first sort of friends or the first sort of people that give you a, a taste of what it's going to be like being at your university. And you often start to build up what it's like to be in a space of people from different backgrounds and understanding what it looks like to navigate those spaces. And so some of the things that I've heard from students have been sort of like the negative experiences. And you'll hear about that more if I'm being completely honest around what it's like to experience microaggressions, what it's like to not feel like you've got an accessible space or or a place where you can really feel like you can be comfortable and belong, what it looks like to be in an environment where you might be able to have the things available that make you feel like you can settle in and call that place home, even if it's temporary. And so some of the things that I think have been most powerful coming out of that is that, you know, the discourse around mental health and how it's linked to accommodation and the student experience um, has been really impactful. I've seen lots of student groups really harness what it looks like to have those conversations in a way that brings communities together and really gets them to speak candidly about what their experiences are like, but also figure out ways about navigating what it looks like to tackle those challenges and then create communities that are are cross-cultural and mixed and and powerful because they're an amalgamation of people from lots of different backgrounds and this has really shaped up initiatives that you see at universities now that look around you know cultural competent care and how do you do mental health support in a way that isn't just about like access to services but embedding that within the university experience what do we do that goes beyond quote-unquote punishing people that cause harm but how do you educate people to understand how harm can be caused and how harm can be reduced and even more so prevented and, and overcome you know students are shaping what spaces look like to be you know inclusive accessible diverse you know I see this in how universities are doing their capital projects and, and thinking about 
you know, how are we actually building physical spaces that students feel at home in? And like when I was in Bristol, we built like a student living room. And so students could go there and literally they could just relax and chill and do whatever they wanted to do in that space and really feel at home. And um, they're simple things most of the time, but I think that's some of the most like big things that you see students influencing and shaping. And I think it's had incredible impact on their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking it just all comes down to that psychological safety and that feeling of being at home, which is what I think all of us in the accommodation sector really, really want to deliver. As I'm going around now talking about the Living Black research, I'm getting asked, okay, so how do we create that? What does that look like? You've talked about the living room, which is a, a really lovely example of creating those spaces. You've also talked about bringing communities together to have those conversations. You've talked about harm reduction, educating people. Are there any examples that you can give that would sort of give a flavour of what good looks like or some promising examples that you're seeing across the country? I think there's a few to go around. And I I would preface this by saying that, you know, a lot of the time these good examples are happening in ways that are non-formalised, right? You don't see students necessarily put a name to a project that they're doing, they just do it. And I think one of the really great ways that that's happening um, sits with some of the work that I've seen happen when I was at Bristol. So I saw students come together to create spaces that were dedicated for students from certain communities. So as I was leaving Bristol, there was a group of students that started this project called Black People Talk. And they now work with student minds really closely. And it's it's a great project that I, everywhere I go, I have to talk about it because I think it's just an incredible piece of of work that has now turned into a, a CIC. And it's a great thing that people can get involved in. You know, what it was created for was so that Black people from different backgrounds could come together and start talking about their experiences in a way that wasn't about relaying trauma and they're just leaving a space feeling really like, emotionally burdened and emotionally exhausted but they could come together have those conversations and then choose what it looks like to be able to articulate that outside of that space right so having a dedicated safe space where they could have their you know space to talk but then being able to articulate that in ways that really enabled other communities to understand their experiences and so you always hear me talk about black people talk because I think it's a great project that's been run by great people and definitely something that people should get engaged with. I also think that this is happening in ways that are connected to activism, but I think it's been great to see how people have come together over things like climate justice, for example. And people have come together to recognise that climate justice goes beyond sort of those individual actions and actually looks at how you do community, right? And so you see lots of students talking about, you know, how do we do global work? How do we connect to students, not only in our universities, but also internationally to create communities, to come together, to tackle some of the big issues that are going on in our world? When you would have those times of students coming together in societies or coming together to do this activist work, they often become friends. And then what you see is like in a really lovely, wholesome way, people would have like potlucks and dinners together. I know that faith communities have done this really well in bringing people together. You know, JSOCs have always been really open. So Jewish societies, I I always say in the colloquial way, JSOCs and Jewish societies often open their Friday night dinners up for people to come and learn about Judaism and and the Jewish community. And I think that's been wonderful. The Muslim community 
um, have lots of activities that they run during Ramadan or even like outside of that to bring people into those communities. They're all such interesting examples as well and, and very much touch on something that I've been picking up over the last, I don't know, maybe six months or, or more is that a conversation about, okay, so what's that interface between a place where students can feel safe and, you know, maybe where it's a bit more homogenous and a place where everyone can feel safe in their their sort of difference and, and be sort of respectful and understanding and, and inclusive. And I think that's something, particularly in accommodation, that pops up quite a lot. So it, it comes up in conversations about how we should allocate people, the sorts of events we should put on, whether we should be trying to teach students when they first come into accommodation about sort of respectful behaviours and so on. But I, I really like what you were saying about that, you know, having a safe space so you can work things through that is appropriate to do so in that safe space, but then opening that up and looking at how, you know, then you're creating an inclusive community. I'm, I'm just wondering if you've got any thoughts about what that might look like to accommodation professionals. I, I mean, almost I'm, I'm tempted to say, you just empower students and get out their way. Or, but is there something that's helpful to do to, to help that process? I think it all starts with like thinking about how do we start off by making it accessible. And I, I only say this because often you'll find that, you know, student communities start to become siloed when you think about accommodation allocation and affordability right I went to uh, Russell Group University so I could probably have like a very distinct example of this you had the halls that people that had much more income or much more privilege were able to afford or go to because there was a historical traditional background to it but also there was an affordability complex and so there was a real divide around people that would stay in the more expensive more traditional halls and people that would stay in the cheaper more affordable ones I think for accommodation professional, there's something about affordability and how that has an impact on what student choices are when it comes to accommodation. And I think that's a really big deal when understanding, you know, students aren't choosing accommodations just because they think it's sort of like the fanciest one or the coolest one. They're doing it because they're thinking about where can they live and really live knowing that they can be able to afford food and, and energy and activities and stuff like that. And so I, I would always start on that point, accessibility through things like affordability and cost of living. Those are very, very central. But I also think that there's something around how we using accommodations to really be hubs of community building. How are we making sure that that mixes more than just in flats? I sort of feel like we overcomplicate it for ourselves sometimes, thinking that we need to put on like these big events and slap a logo in it. When you could do things simply that are like, I really enjoyed at my accommodation that at one point in the year we had like this festival, like you could just have fun with other people. You weren't being bogged down by the heavy stuff as your initial point of meeting. You could just bond over having fun. I think sports is a really good way of doing that as well. And so those are some of the ways that I think are really important and impactful. And I definitely see it happening. And for accommodation providers, I think what you're doing now by learning and understanding experiences is always the, the best place to start. And then equipping and resourcing students to build those solutions with you are, are probably the best ways that you start to build those community hubs and, and build that sense of belonging in a really holistic way. That's a really good, clear message. Um, you've touched on mental health earlier on, and I have to say that's the biggest change that I've seen over the last 10 years in terms of just students in general, but also in terms of the awareness within accommodation. 
have you got any thoughts on that what work have you been doing on that yeah I started university probably when the mental health crisis in university was at its peak so back in 2016 I remember coming to university and just hearing really visceral realities of what it looks like for mental illness to to be a thing that becomes very pronounced and prevalent when you get to university or in student communities. I had my own experiences and, and I experienced what was going on around me. And I think those are really difficult areas to navigate, especially when, you know, often people don't have the literacy or the, the vocabulary to be able to speak about mental health in a really simple way. You know, you don't really speak about it at school. You don't really speak about it outside of those spaces. And I think perhaps universities are places where that becomes very overt. You know, people start speaking about it exactly as it is. Mental health is addressed in lots of different ways, right? I think there's some of the, like, the important things that need to be there as a standard, you know, access to services, being able to, like, have support at accommodations, but also in and around accommodations. I was one of the last cohorts in Bristol to have wardens and, and wardens alongside sort of res- residential life staff. I knew I could trust in that space and having, you know, access to services, resi life, staff on hand that are properly trained in in mental health first aid but also understand how to approach it for different communities but I also think that like when we think about mental health in regards to accommodations all of it is built up into a picture of lots of different dynamics right it's around you know our students being able to live and, and thrive whilst they're in their accommodations you know if they're struggling to pay rent I don't think students are doing much student activities a lot of the time they're working part-time jobs trying to afford to live at universities and I think that needs to be addressed to really think about mental health. I do think there's a, a thing around destigmatizing what it looks like for people to have or struggle with mental health illnesses and really like breaking down the stigmas around that. I know especially in my community and, and for people of colour but I, I can speak about being a black person, mental health, the way that it's spoken about when you first get to universities isn't the way that we speak about it you know like that's not the way that it's talked about in our communities and often when we try and talk about mental health in a way that only really speaks to one type of community that has spoken about it in in one way for a very long time people feel shut out of that process not everybody can speak about their mental health in ways that are linear or can be talked about in very exact ways I grew up in a way that mental health was talked about very much through like your experiences you would speak about it and how how it would make you feel through the interactions that you would have that were very non-tangible you know how was it experienced in terms of like your experiences of racism how was it experienced in terms of how you access your learning and what it looks like to be involved in that what does it look like when you're in a flat where you are one of the only you know group of people that you belong in And so I think when it comes to tackling mental health, especially through accommodations, there's something around, you know, what does it look like for staffing in that accommodation? You know, what are the roles of people in those spaces? Are the staff members diverse in a really authentic way? And what does it look like when we do allocations? You know, when we have people from, for example, faith backgrounds, are we giving them spaces to be around people from similar backgrounds so they can really feel that sense of community on a faith perspective? when we're thinking about race, are we doing it in a way that's allowing people to know that there are people that look like them and have similar experiences to them that are in close proximity to them, no matter the income bracket 
that they fall in and therefore the halls that they're in. Is there a way that we're doing mental health initiatives? How do we do it from a place where we get them comfortable with speaking and and talking about and accessing services way before a crisis hits? It really opens it up a little bit, I think, certainly in terms of the way we, we think about how we might respond to student mental health issues. I think it has gone from something that was quite reactive now and moving towards something that is a little bit more proactive. And I think culturally competent is is something I'm taking as well from, from what you're saying, because you've got people from many different communities, different faiths, different um, ways of thinking about mental health. And I think you've illustrated that really, really beautifully. I think it's a lot about communities as well, because sometimes you don't really you're not really able to draw out where people are starting from to really understand what it looks like to have preventative care right before it gets to a crisis. That when you often get into communities, that's when you start to draw out how people are really experiencing things. You know, it was when I joined my Afro-Caribbean society that I met people that looked like me and could validate my experiences that made me be able to be open about speaking about mental health. And so communities are really vital in that. I am grateful to see that shift to proactive rather than reactive care because I think that's that's what needs to be at the heart of any initiative that we do around mental health. Absolutely. Uh, well, you you mentioned that you're coming to the end of your time as an NUS officer. Can you say something about the work that you've been doing over the last two years? Is there something that you are most proud of? I guess I guess I would probably start off by saying that when I ran for this role two years ago now. I didn't anticipate that this would be the environment I was doing this role in. I was very much like, if I get elected, I'm going to be like the traveling vice president. Like nobody's going to see me in one place. I'm going to be with students everywhere that they are. But obviously all of us got interrupted by the pandemic and and dealing with the really serious impact of that. And so my past two years has been filled with sort of a bit of firefighting, which is usual for a student officer, but also more firefighting than usual. I didn't realise that I would have to clue myself up on public health and pandemics. It wasn't in my mind that that would be my sort of main focus. But then also, you know, I came into an organisation that was freshly reformed and me and the team that I'm in, we, we really had to build a new sort of way forward about how we wanted to set this new foundation for NUS. And so the past few years, we've been campaigning on, you know, student support, mental health, sexual violence. I'm looking at a new vision for education. So that was really about solidifying some of the core things at the heart of NUS around free education, about accessibility, about lifelong learning, about decolonization and really doing diversity properly. And then we did a whole decolonization project for itself and really focused on how do we do anti-racism and, and more specifically liberation in a way that is intentional and embedded rather than tacked on. And I probably think the thing that I'm most proud of in these past two years is the fact that I think there's been a real vulnerability and humanness to the way that we've been working and really responding to the needs of students. So I'm proud of the fact that we've connected to students in a new way. We've reached out to not only student officers, but activists too. We've gone into areas that haven't really been explored deeply. That's something I think is well worth being proud of. Yes, very much sounds like that. Is there anything that you feel is is left to do? Maybe things that had to be put on the back burner through the pandemic? Yeah, I feel like I need to like bring out a scroll. I do think there's lots to be done, but I, I think the world's our oyster, really. I think 
we've gotten some really, really impactful work done in talking about like student support and really understanding different types of students. I know that there's lots of work to be done with commuter students, care leaver and exchange students, part-time students, flexible learners, I would say. And I think we have a lot of work to do in making higher education, let alone further education, somewhere that really fits into their lifestyles and, and the ways that they learn and work. I also think that there's much more to be done with anti-racist and liberation work that you'll never, you know, hear me not talk about that. But I think there's lots to be done in really recognising that anti-racism work isn't something that is like a project that you sort of task and finish. It's an ongoing work that builds up and, and needs to be sustainable and continued. There's lots to be done and I think it's really exciting. And yeah, the world is everybody's oyster. I think everyone should go for it and see what they work out of this really fresh foundation. It, it sounds to me like there's been a, a real focus on building up the capacity for that grassroots activism and, and students being able to advocate for themselves. Is, is that that's something you've been focusing on? Yeah, that's exactly what's, what's been our, our, our main sort of driver in these past two years. I know that we have lots of students doing work, but often you see that there are a vast majority of students that either feel disengaged or don't necessarily contribute in the ways that have now been embedded into systems. You know, students don't always make change by sitting in committees or being part of like sort of formal processes. Often you'll see students doing things that are sometimes uncomfortable for organisations and institutions. And I think that's fine. I think that's within their gift and power to disrupt sometimes. But also I think there's something about returning to students being able to use their voices authentically in ways that feel true to them and I don't know how you feel about this Jenny but I think there's something really interesting about when students you know in my term we've had the largest wave of rent strikes and the circumstances were not circumstances to be happy about but it was nice to see students feel like they had the power and the ability to to push for that change in the ways that felt authentic to them you know we saw students um standing side by side with you know staff members on strike we, we just see them getting involved and feeling more passionate and outspoken than we have in a very very long time and I think that's exciting and it, it gives me a, a breath of fresh air to think that you know students are are feeling empowered to make their voice heard and and every time people ask me what my advice is for students and I say you know make your voice heard in any way you can. That's what they're doing. And so building up their capacity to support them in doing that has definitely been a main driver. And, and I'm glad to hear that in some way it's reflecting back in how we've been doing it and, and our intentions around that. That's great. So we're coming towards the end of our time. There's one thing I wanted to ask you, which is what's next for you? That's a really good question. <laughs> this is the point where I start reading out my CV. Like, These are Feel the free. things I've done. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't run to stay on in this space was because I feel really like I feel really accomplished in the sense that not everything is like full stop done finished like pack it in a drawer it's done I do feel proud that I've been able to contribute what I could what I could contribute to this space and now I'm passing on the baton to somebody that's like incredible and really passionate about this work as well for me looking at what is next for me I'd love to still do something that was people facing and supporting and advocating for people. I think advocacy is always going to be at the heart of everything I do. And so if there's any advocacy roles out there, hit me up. But also, like, I don't think I'm done with higher education particularly. Neither do I think I'm done with, like, engaging with students. And so 
hopefully lots of exciting stuff but I don't know follow me on Twitter you'll see me do one of those cute little personal and personal news I've got a new job <laughs> sure you're going to be highly in demand <laughs> anything else that you wanted to say that we haven't had time to cover I think the only thing that I would say is that you know whether you are a student or somebody that's been working in organizations to do with you know universities or education I think that the only thing for me to say is that there's so much that is at stake and I think sometimes it's really hard to get bogged down by the amount of work that you know is ahead of us and and the things that we need to do but I think this is a time where we can all really embrace that what it looks like for us to work together doesn't mean overworking ourselves and trying to do everything but really picking out the things that we feel most passionate about and working together in a vulnerable and a humble way to do that and so I probably think my last word on this is is that everybody has the impact to make really great change and that looks different in different spaces but please 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 don't discount yourself in being able to be part of what can be some of the most transformative and important things that students will experience Jenny absolute props to you for working with you know Happen and all of these great people to bring together the the Living Black Report because I think that's going to be a really formative and important piece of research that is going to shape a lot of work in, in accommodations going forward and I know that there's going to be lots of people that will have ideas off of the back of that that I definitely think should go for it and and just not be afraid to do the difficult work to see the positive change come out of that. A great thing that you put your finger on there as well is just you know don't try and do everything but prioritize and, and start a movement yeah that sounds yeah, amazing exactly Hilary it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show thank you so much thank you and thank you to you for listening to the show please do follow Accommodation Matters on your usual podcast app for our regular episodes as well as the In Conversation specials and you can also find us at unitestudents.podbean.com do give us a rate and review while you're there so we'll be back soon with a new episode until then take care and goodbye